one of the special things that happens sometimes is when someone tells you that they're praying for you. To hear the words from someone saying, I'm praying for you. That's our scripture for today. And it's not just anyone praying for us, but it's about Jesus praying for us. It's at the end of this meal called the Last Supper when Jesus is getting ready and he's gathered with his followers his last night here on earth. And he's begun to pray and most likely he's praying out loud and so they can overhear him, they can hear what he's saying. And he's praying for them. I don't know what it's like for you, but when someone prays, it can be a special thing to sit there and to hear that. And I want you to hear Jesus' prayer for you today. And our temptation as followers of Jesus sometimes is every time we go to the Bible is to come away with a to-do list. We read it and we think, oh, there's something I have to do. What, what do I do with this? What I would ask you to do today is I don't want you walking away from the sermon today with a to-do list because that's not what Jesus is doing. What I want you to do is simply hear Jesus' prayer for you, to hear these words and what he has to say. And it's a prayer that he prays for his disciples, but it's a prayer for us too. In the prayer, in verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's saying, my prayer is not just for them, meaning the disciples, but also those who will believe in me because of their message. That's us. The disciples passed down the message and they passed it on to someone and they passed it on to someone else. And eventually that message got passed on to you. And that's amazing. Jesus knew that what his disciples would do would be successful. He knew that his prayer for them would do something and that people would hear this story. And so his prayer is not just for them, but for us. And so what I would invite you to do again is hear this prayer. And rather than striving to meet some sort of expectations, to think about this, how amazing it is that the Son of God, the creator of the universe, and his Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit spend time discussing, talking about, praying for our little community here. That that's how much we matter to God. That that's how much we matter to Jesus. That he takes time out of his day, out of that last few hours there on earth to pray for us. I mean, I know I'm always blessed when somebody says they're praying for me. I know they're taking time. They could be doing a lot of other things. And they take time to pray for me. And here's Jesus taking time to pray for us. Which to me to think, he's thinking of this little church, this group of people gathered here at Fruitland Covenant on a Sunday morning, and he's praying for us. And so what's happened before is we're in the gospel of John, and John has been telling this story of Jesus as light and life. And in chapter 13, the pace of the story slows down, and we find Jesus at his last meal with his disciples. He's gathered them together to celebrate the Passover, this great victory of God this great rescue mission. And he begins the meal by taking off his cloak and wrapping a towel and washing their feet, a symbol, a sign of the way he will wash them, a symbol and sign of the call for them to lay down their lives just as he will lay down their lives. And he prays for them. He assures them that 
he's going away, but he's sending a Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide them. There's concerns about it. He gives them a call and he's saying, not only that, but I'm giving you a mission because I want you to go into the world and to bear fruit, to help other people see it. But you only bear that fruit when you abide, when you remain, when you remain connected to Jesus. And so he's sharing all these things. And we come into John 17. And John, and the way Jesus speaks in John, it often feels like he starts one thing and then he goes back to something else and then he moves forward and it's sort of this spiral of things. And even every time I read it, I think, well, wait a minute. I like things laid out in this nice, neat progression. I don't know, for me, sometimes Jesus, in this, particularly in the Gospel of John, doesn't feel like that. It's like he's talking about glory and unity and then he's talking about something else and then he's talking about glory and unity again and it's sort of this spiral of themes. And so you heard those words recur over and over again as Mike was reading. You maybe heard the word glory, or the word one, or the word sent, or the word world, or the word give, all these things coming together, all these themes. But I want us to pay attention to one verse in particular, chapter 17, verse 18, where Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus, now remember, he's not talking directly to the disciples, he's praying to God and the disciples are simply overhearing the prayer. So he's saying, as you, as you, Father, sent me, Jesus, into the world, so now I, Jesus, send the disciples into the world. And so that's kind of the key thing that's going on here and that shapes all of this story that's going on. It really orients us to what Jesus is praying for. It helps to think, this is what Jesus' prayer is all about, how he, having been sent, now sends the disciples into the world. And I think when he says, just as or as the Father sent me, it's not just, well, he sent me and now I'm sending them, but there's a similarity in the things they do and in the things that they do. And so Jesus begins this prayer and he says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And so this is the beginning of the prayer and he's talking about he says the hour has come. And the hour is this moment that has been building up through the story. The hour is when Jesus will give his life on a cross. When he will offer his life for the sins of the world and bring reconciliation and restoration between God and people. And what he's saying is the glory of God is displayed on the cross. We think of glory sometimes as the big victory, the 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 car finishing the rap, you know, the, the team that's, everybody's up on the shoulders, the person with the, the ticker tape parade and all the things going on. But in the story that John tells, glory comes at the cross. The glory is revealed in the self-giving, life-giving death of Jesus. It's a glory manifested in costly love. Not what we often think of glory. I think Craig Kester in this quote captures it well. When he says, if glory defines what the crucifixion is, the crucifixion defines what glory is. The crucifixion manifests the scope of divine power by disclosing the depths of divine love. Glory, if glory defines what the crucifixion is, the crucifixion defines what glory is. Glory is about divine power which is disclosed in divine love and giving. So when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about God's love revealed in the cross. 
If you were to see someone dying on a cross, a struggling, brutalized, shamed body hanging on a cross in the throes of death, that's not what we would usually think of as glory. But it's Jesus displaying the glory of God because the glory of God is His deep and incredible love for us. And Jesus was sent with a mission. So remember, if Jesus has prayed, I'm sending them as you have sent me. Well, what was Jesus sent to do? He was sent with a mission to do what? To bring healing between God and people. To bring this restoration, to bring forgiveness, to bring freedom, to bring eternal life. To demonstrate what God's love is. And notice even what he calls eternal life in verse 3. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So sometimes we think of eternal life as something we think of. Knowing God leads to eternal life, but that's not what Jesus says here. What does he say? He says, knowing God is eternal life. That communion with God is life. So Jesus begins the prayer in a sense saying, help me complete my task. This is the prayer. Glorify me. Show people what the love is like by bringing God's life. And then he goes on to begin to pray for the disciples. And he picks this up in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 17. He kind of talks about showing what God is like. And then he continues and starts his prayer really in verse 9. And he says, I pray for them. In other words, again, Jesus now praying for them, meaning the disciples, and also for us. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I don't know, that starts off, sounds kind of mean at first. Like, wait a minute, Jesus isn't praying for the world? Doesn't he care about the world? Well, yes, he cares about the world because he died for the world. You know, for God so loved the world, right? So we realize Jesus cares about the world, but he's saying my focus and my prayers right now is on my followers and for the purpose of the world. And they were given in that language of, I pray for them, but for those you have given me. And so I want us to begin to hear these prayers of Jesus. He's saying, we, the disciples then, our disciples now, have been given to Jesus. It's this language that tells us two things. One is, it's the language of election or the language of choosing that we've been set apart for a purpose. But it's also the language of belonging. When you give something to someone, what do you do? You say you're kind of trusting it to someone. You're giving it and say, here, this is mine. And so in, these, in this prayer of Jesus, what I want us to hear is God the Father has given us into Jesus' hand for Him to care for us. So hear that prayer that Jesus is saying, He knows that we have been given and He takes that to heart and He knows we have been given to Him. And then he begins in the prayer, and there's kind of three key themes that I want us to look at. And again, the language kind of goes, he'll talk about one thing, and then he prays about something else, and then he comes back to it. But the first theme is the theme of protection. So in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so there's a lot going on there. But a lot of it is this idea of protection, where Jesus is asking God to protect us. So hear that prayer now. Jesus wants us to be protected. Why? What happened to Jesus when he came and shared his mission of love to the world? He was scorned. What, what would, 
How does the story end? We know the story, the end of the story. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, right? He gets killed. He gets persecuted by the religious leaders and he gets killed. And one of the great things he promises earlier in the dinner to his disciples, he said, same thing's going to happen to you. And so Jesus now is saying to his disciples, I know that life is going to be hard, that you are going to face persecution. And so he's asking God to protect them. He's talked about it in verses 14 and 15. He, he say the, I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy. I've given, your, given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world and more than I am the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, we might wish that Jesus' prayer was just take us out of the world. I mean, if the world's going to hate us, if the world's going to persecute us, take us out of the world. But Jesus says, no, that's not my prayer. Jesus' prayer isn't for us to be taken out of the world. Why doesn't he want us taken out of the world? Because we have a mission. We have a task to do. We've been chosen. We've been set aside to do something. So in other words, we're being protected for the sake of the mission. The protection isn't just because God doesn't want us to suffer. The protection is because we have a mission to do. And so the protection is that we would stay. And really the sense of protection is keep them in your name is to stay loyal to Jesus, to stay loyal to God the Father. And so the protection that Jesus is praying for is that we would stay loyal to Jesus, that we would stay on mission, that we would keep our faithfulness so that we can share the good news of he, who He is. So first, hear that prayer of Jesus for us, is that He knows we're going to face persecution. He knows we're going to face troubles. He knows we're going to face trials. And Jesus prays that God the Father will keep us, will protect us, will watch over us. That's an encouragement to me, to know that when I face challenges, when I face the persecution, when I'm talking about who Jesus is, when I'm living that out, and I face persecution because of it, that Jesus knew that that was going to happen, and that He prayed for protection. And something about prayer that I believe, I think when Jesus prays for something, usually prayer gets answered. I mean, we sometimes pray for things, and our prayers may not get answered in the way we want to, but Jesus prays in accordance with the will of the Father, and when He prays in accordance with the will of what God wants, then the prayers get answered. So if Jesus is praying for protection for us, then we have protection, don't we? Second thing that he says, second thing Jesus prays for is sanctify them. So in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. So sanctifying is this kind of fancy word, a churchy word, right? My guess is very few of you used the word sanctification in the last week. Anybody? Any? Yeah, there's always one, so... But usually it's not the kind of word that we talk about. But, and it's kind of this churchy where it's like, oh, we want to be holy. And sometimes we think of sanctification as like, oh, there's certain things I don't do that I'm a better person. But it's something different. It's really, sanctification is a sense of being set apart. Being made holy. It's being set apart. And we're set apart for what? For a purpose. Jesus has said earlier, they've been given to me. In other words, we've been set apart for this person. There's a connection between sanctification sanctification and calling, that there's an identity. So when someone 
puts on a uniform, when someone puts on something, they've been set apart for a particular purpose. And that's what Jesus is saying is, help my people to know they have been set apart, that they've been called for a particular person, particular purpose, that we have a distinction from the world that we provide an alter culture, a different kind of culture to live in. And so Jesus is praying and saying, you have a purpose. And God has set you apart to it. And you have this holiness or this sanctification, which is kind of the sense of it. But the sanctification isn't something we do on our own. Verse 19 says, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. In other words, our sanctification comes from Jesus. Jesus sets himself apart to the work of the Father. We share in that. And this is one of those things that John talks about a lot in here that it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around that we participate in what Jesus does. We're one with Him in this way that it moves along and we share in His sanctification. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Think about that verse. I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. It's like, well, wait a minute. He's sanctifying Himself so that we may be sanctified. Well, because when we give our lives to Jesus, we're joined. There's this union with Jesus. Later on in the New Testament, it talks about, Paul talks about us being partakers of the divine nature. So there's this sharing that goes on. Don't ask me to explain it, but to just simply grasp that idea that somehow we're participating in it. So Jesus has prayed for our protection, that we're watched over. Jesus is praying that we realize we're sanctified, that we're set apart, and finally he prays for this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. This is where he starts talking about us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And hear that language. They may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That somehow, again, there's that union with who God is. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Again, sharing and participation, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So if you were listening to those few verses there, is there a word that stood out? One in unity. So question for you. If you were to describe the church today, whether our local congregation, the church, or world, would you describe it as one or in unity? And you think, wait a minute. I thought Jesus' prayers always worked. And so we have to think about what is Jesus praying for? And, and then also to realize that there's always this sense of already not yet. We're living into this. Jesus, this is Jesus' prayer for us, and part of our call is to live into it. But he says to be one as the Father and Son are one. And we're talking unity. We're being, in a sense, drawn into the life of the Trinity. So we have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. How many of you understand that? We don't understand how that works exactly. But there's this sense of there's this unity between them. But part of the unity is a relational unity. That the relationship of God, the Father and Son, is extended to us all. And so John's talked about this earlier in the gospel. He's talked about becoming children of God. 
And later on at the resurrection, when he talks to Mary, he talks about, I'm returning to my father and to your father. And so Jesus, when we give our life to him, when we pledge our allegiance to him, when we put our trust in him, we become participators. We become part of that relationship. And so this unity is about love and love for one another. It's a relational unity. John's talked about this earlier when he said, or Jesus talked about it earlier in his, where he says, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. What? By your love for one another. And this is the exact same thing he said here. He says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. The world will know that you sent me when the church comes to complete unity. And so I think what Jesus is praying for here is, again, this prayer that we might love one another. Because that's what, if we love one another, we have unity. Unity doesn't necessarily mean we agree on everything. I don't think when Jesus is describing us being in the same sort of unity as the Father and Son, we can't be in that exact, because God is different from us, but He's talking about a unity of relationship and a unity of purpose. And so when Jesus invites us into this community, this church, it's not an end in itself. Our love for each other, you must hear this, our love for each other is part of God's purpose. Again, he says, then the world will know that you sent me. When we love one another, when we're in unity together, then the world will know. The world knows God's love by experiencing it, by seeing it among us. This community marked by foot washing, by self-giving, life-giving love. And so we think, wait a minute. We acknowledge, what, but the church isn't one. We're not united. What are we going to do about it? What did I say at the beginning? Don't make any to-do list today, okay? We don't need to do anything. What I want us to just go away today is to remember that Jesus is praying for that. Jesus is praying that we can love one another that we can live and love together, which is hard sometimes, isn't it? Okay, it's hard for me sometimes. Maybe you guys all have it down and you love one another without any problems. But sometimes it's hard for me. And so it's helpful for me to know that when I'm struggling to love the people within the church, whether it's within this congregation, I don't have trouble with any of you guys, okay, no. When I'm having trouble loving other Christians, when I'm trouble having trouble loving other Christians, then I know, hey, but Jesus is praying for me that I can do this. Jesus knows that that's going to be hard to do, and He's praying for me. Just like when we're getting ready to face a difficult task, when we're getting ready to do something, we're getting ready to have surgery or we're getting ready to have a difficult conversation and someone has told us before, I'll be praying for you. And we go into it with this sense of, have you ever had that where you go and you're facing a challenging situation and then you remember there's others praying for you? Or you just go through that particular circumstance, you have that hard conversation, it goes better than you expected and then you're talking to someone later in the week and they say, hey, I don't know what happened, but on Monday, I thought of you and I was praying for you. And you say, well, with Monday, I was having that hard conversation and somebody was praying for me. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we're in the midst of those struggles, when we're having trouble loving one another, we're sitting there, 
have in the back of your mind, Jesus is praying for you that you might be one, that you might have that same love for one another that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have for one another. And the purpose of it all, all these things, verse 21, may they also be said so that the world may believe. This is the goal of these prayers. Jesus is praying all these things for one purpose, the reconciliation of all things, that all things would be brought to him, including those who are hostile to the Son. The world isn't ignored. Remember back at the beginning where we said, well, Jesus isn't praying for the disciples. He's, or isn't praying for the world. He's praying for the disciples. Well, he's praying for the disciples for the sake of the world. He's praying that we might experience protection that we might be sanctified and set apart. He's praying that we might be in unity, loving one another for the sake of the world. Jesus drew disciples to himself. What do you think drew those original followers to Jesus? I think it was his love, who he was. And now he's saying it's the same way with us. We draw people in when we manifest, when we demonstrate, when we show this love of God. And Jesus was sent, as Jesus was sent, so we're sent. Same purpose, same, and we mirror this unity when we carry this love into the world. A world that doesn't know God, but we carry it into the world because God loves the world and wants it to know that love. Like A.T. Lincoln said it, he said, the hope for the world is that it ceases to be the world by receiving the witness of Jesus' followers. The hope for the world is that it ceases to be the world by receiving the witness of Jesus' followers. How does it stop being the world? Well, what's the world? The world is in those in opposition to Jesus. And so as we share the love of Jesus, they no longer become the world, but they become his people. Or another way, Michael Gorman puts it, he says, we become unworldly agents of God's worldly mission unworldly agents, because we're not like the world. We're called to be different from the world. So we're unworldly, laid, unworldly agents of God's worldly mission, because we have a mission to the world. We're sent by divine love to bring that love to others, including our enemies. Bring them into that love, and Jesus is praying that we might do that. So I would invite you as you go this week, as you go on your way, know that Jesus has sent you into the world with the same love that he comes into the world, to love the world, to demonstrate that love among us. But whatever it is you do this week, just remember this good news, that Jesus is praying for you. And to that, I think we can all say, Amen.